he, t- he, he would tell me stories of smoking cigarettes with Martin Luther King Jr., Sammy Davis Jr., Janis Joplin, like all the big knaves of the day. He's there <laughs> having cigarettes and drinking beer and, and sharing, listening to one another as this critical moment of civil rights is unfolding. Hey y'all, welcome back to Native Soil. This is episode seven. It's a lucky number, so we should all feel good about that. But uh, I kind of want to pick up where I left off last time. And um, I'd like to tell y'all kind of <clears throat> a story of some of the unsung heroes of the civil rights movement that has, that has to do with our own archdiocese and our own uh, kind of history. Last week I shared about Enigma, this, this retreat we had started to work with young black Catholic men and young Christian men in our, our Catholic schools to help them to think about how God is calling them to give themselves away. Yes, to think about being priests, but, but more basically to think about maybe you're being called to be religious, to be married, to uh, give yourself in, in the big ways and small ways you have unique contributions to make. So we talked about all this, and one aha moment happened um, through Coach Thomas Ehrensberg. He's participated the past two years, and he himself is half Pacific Islander, half white, and... Um, he grew up a lot of his childhood in California before he came to Mobile. And I remember him sharing at our last session of the first year, as we're all kind of sharing kind of how, you know, what we learned and, and kind of what God did in our life. I remember him saying, you know, growing up in California, I learned about California state history. By the time I moved to Alabama, I didn't study Alabama state history. So as we went and visited the Legacy Museum and saw and learned about civil rights and slavery and, and all of it, you know, as part of on our native soil, he said it was so eye-opening. And he said, and, and to spend this, this time with you all and to hear how you feel and to hear how this still affects you, like in this day and age, he said, I just had no idea. I just had no idea. I'm so thankful for these conversations. And I remember... Uh, as he was talking, Father Williams caught my eye in the corner and he was just, we kind of looked at each other and kind of just nod our heads like, thanks be to God, you know, and like, this is the aha moment, like of realizing just what happens when you hear somebody, when you hear somebody's experience, you hear how they feel, you hear how you think, it changes you. And Thomas wanted to say, he goes, you know, this is going to change the way in which I deal with my black students. It's going to change the way in which I interact with my black friends because now I understand. I understand where they're coming from. And I mentioned that because today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, these unsung heroes in the story of civil rights, which really, in many ways, came to a head in, in many significant ways here in the Archdiocese of Mobile. And I wanted to share one story kind of out of the black Catholic community. There's, there's so much richness there, I think, that just flies over our head many times. But this story to me, uh, I, I, I did not know it until I was in seminary, but it really made an impact on me. I hope it can make an impact on you. So in the um, early 1940s, maybe late uh, 1930s, at a, at a cloister in Cantonsville, Maryland, um, it, was, it was typical of that time for even in cloistered monasteries, it was... Uh, racially segregated. So you had 
cloisters for white people, you had cloisters for black people, you had cloisters for Hispanic people, but not mixed. That just wasn't done at the time. And there were two sisters at this cloister and they'd seen a couple of different women of color be turned away because of their race. And one day, as I heard the story, this is the oral tradition I've heard, I hope that it's uh, true enough for me to tell, but one day on the way to evening prayer, these two, sis these two of the sisters, they're very good friends, on the way into evening prayer, they each slipped each other a note. And they had written the same thing. And as they unfolded the note, they realized what they had written. It says, what if there was a place where everybody could belong? They felt like this was the Holy Spirit telling them they needed to do something about this. And so they went to their superior and asked, could we start writing to bishops to see if they would be open to start an interracial cloister? And so she got, they got permission. They started writing bishops all around the country. And the response for most people was no. There were some people who were interested in it, but uh, you know, a couple bishops wrote back and said, you know, well, I would love to do this personally, but I just don't think our priests and our faithful are ready for this. You know, like check back in 20 years. <laughs> you know, let's see. Um, so they're they're sending it out. At the same time, a passionist priest named Father Harold Purcell felt called to come down into the deep south and to do ministry to the poor black community. He was feeling this burden in his heart, and he had contacted our archbishop at the time, uh, what was Bishop, Bishop Tulin. And they had started some uh, conversations. And he said, you know, I want to start a whole ministry to the poor black population of Alabama. He said, but the first thing I would want to do is start a cloister. He goes, because number one, I'm a Yankee. Number two, I'm Catholic. And number three, I'm white. And I'm coming down to the deep south trying to minister to poor black Catholics. <laughs> so if this is going to have any shot of working, I'm going to need some powerful prayer backing uh, my ministry and my efforts. Well, as this conversation's happening, just so happened that Tulin got one of these letters from the nuns in Cantonsville, Maryland. And Tulin put two and two together. He goes, well, let me put you guys in contact with another because this might just be a match made in heaven. And so that's exactly what did happen. In 1944, uh, the Monastery of St. Jude was started in Marbury, Alabama. Marbury is about 30 miles north of Montgomery. It's more or less, even today, in the middle of nowhere. But they got a plot of land off of County Road 20. If you go there today, you're like, how did this wind up here? But they got this plot of land, and what they started there very intentionally from what was happening in the Holy Spirit between these nuns and, and Father Purcell, they started the first interracial cloister in the history of the United States. For the first time ever in our country's history, black and white sisters came and lived together, they prayed together, they fellowshiped together, and they offered their sacrifices, they offered their heart in support of this ministry that Father Purcell felt called to start. It's amazing to me to consider so many things about it, one of which they named it uh, under the title of St. Jude. St. Jude is often known as the saint of the impossible. And I think this Father Purcell must have been, uh, had a good sense of humor because he named uh, this ministry and he named what would come to be in Montgomery the city of St. Jude after St. Jude because it's the saint of the impossible. 
know, here I am, this Yankee, white, Catholic priest coming down to the Deep South to minister to black people. St. Jude, we need you. And St. Jude pulled through in amazing ways. And, you know, this, this monastery started in 1944 in Marbury, Alabama, 30 miles away uh, north of Montgomery. Just 11 years later, 1955, the famous bus boycott started in Montgomery, which really kind of helped to start catalyze the whole civil rights movement. Now, there are so many different people who their thought, their prayer, their action kind of were part of the civil rights movement. But I would like to believe that these women living in a hidden way in Marbury, Alabama, just 30 miles away from the epicenter of the civil rights movement, living the reality of racial harmony, praying for that reality, and serving at the ministry of Father Purcell, I would like to believe that their prayers helped to loosen some of the soil for this kind of spiritual movement to happen. Like I said, many people had to uh, have the courage to say things and to do things to kind of get this off the ground. But I see them in many ways as kind of these unsung heroes in the midst of all of this. And um, another very significant moment of uh, civil rights happened in conjunction to the black Catholic community. Father Purcell had started the city of St. Jude. They had a parish. They had a school. They were developing a high school. They would come to have a hospital. They would have a, a home. They still have a care for kids with a, kind of long-term special needs. It's kind of amazing, not kind of, it's, it's, it's miraculous kind of what all happened in the city of St. Jude. But um, the night before the last march from Selma to Montgomery in 1965, about 10,000 people spent the night at St. Jude. And they had this program called Stars for Freedom, and all the biggest stars of the day were there supporting uh, this, this movement. I was so blessed when I was at Christ the King to, to um, live across the street from Father Tyg Deasy for the last couple years of his life. A holy Irish priest, beloved by so many in our diocese, but he was assigned at St. Jude when this happened, and he has had, um, had and does have up there in heaven, he has amazing stories of that night. He, t he, he would tell me stories of smoking cigarettes with Martin Luther King Jr., Sammy Davis Jr., Janis Joplin, like all the big knaves of the day. He's there having cigarettes and drinking beer and, and sharing, listening to one another as this critical moment of civil rights is unfolding. All of that happened right here on our native soil. It is an incredible legacy to be a part of. And all of that happened because of the Holy Spirit speaking to actual individuals. These two sisters in Cantonsville, Maryland, exchanged the note saying the same thing, and they had the wherewithal to say, okay, God's doing something here. Before that, they had seen women of color be turned away, and it had resonated in a poor way with them, like, we need to do something about this. They listened to that. They start writing these different bishops. Father Purcell feeling the call to come down to our native soil to invest in it. Tulin hearing his vision, hearing the vision of these nuns, putting them together, and then you see God's kingdom start to grow. This is part of our heritage. I encourage you to do more reading, more research. If you've never been to the city of St. Jude, 
go and visit. They have an amazing history museum. You can see pictures of all that I'm talking about. They have a beautiful parish with Father Daniel being the pastor. There's all these things you can tap into this history that I'm talking about. All of this uh, to say, how does God want to speak to us like that? He does. He is speaking to us right now. Uh, and, and there's a certain role that we all have to play. And I love this thing of these two sisters, this priest from the Northeast, our own bishop, all of these things kind of being knitted together. Well, everyone who's listening right now, everyone in Archdiocese, like we all have a part to play. There's all, we all have unique gifts and talents that can somehow help advance the kingdom of God here on earth. Don't be afraid to listen and see what God might want to do. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Through her intercession, Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Sister Thea Bowman, pray for us. Father Harold Purcell, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless y'all. Hope to see you back here on our native soil.